Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? <laughs> that was super encouraging. It sounds like you're having the worst day you've had in 2016. Um, I'm glad you're here. Hopefully your day gets better. Uh, you're probably just on carb overload right now. We get that. We understand that. want to say thank you so much this morning to all of our volunteers who made uh, just this breakfast. So much hard work went in. Can we just say thank you to them? Uh, So many of our volunteers today not only got here early, but they parked in a parking lot really far away so that we would have plenty of room for our guests because at Spring Valley, our guests matter to us and we hope you feel like our honored guests. But let's just be real if you parked in that parking lot way over in Jupiter. Um, that was a serious walk this morning in the wind. And uh, yep, you can hear that now. Like, and hopefully by the time we're done, that's over. Um, but that was a wild night of weather, and I'm just glad that we're here this morning, glad that we have power. Hopefully it makes it through the whole service. Uh, you're just glad it made it until at least you had breakfast. Um, this morning we're starting a brand new series, so if you're new today, uh, you get to start this journey with us. We're in a series called Love Handles, and um, we're going to be talking about love relationships and all the things that kind of go around love and relationships. Just need to give you a warning this morning. Um, if there are small kids in the room, um, I will not be inappropriate or explicit. And yet at the same time, we're going to be going through a book of the Bible that is uh, explicit and can feel inappropriate to some of us. And so we're going to talk about some sensitive issues over this next few weeks. And I'm excited about that. Um, strangely excited about that, but I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Song of Songs. And if you don't know anything about Song of Songs, I sent out a long introduction this week. Thank you to the seven of you who read it. That was awesome. Um, and to the rest of you who got stuck on page two, I love you. It's okay. After the sermon, you're going to want to read it. I promise. Uh, if you need more information about Song of Songs, uh, some stuff I won't cover in the sermon, you can get that through email uh, just by letting us know on your orange card that you'd like the introduction to Song of Songs sent to your email address, and we'll do that this week. So I want to share a story with you. Um, I got married on July 26, 2003 at 10 in the morning. That's actually why we start Spring Valley at 10 in the morning, um, just so that I'm reminded of my wedding day. And I got married at 21 years old. My wife, Cheryl, was 24 years old. We were young. We were wild. We did not know what we were doing. We actually got married and moved to Pennsylvania. We're from western New York, and we haven't looked back since. And I had never lived outside the house before, so you can imagine. There I am, 21 years old, standing before all of our family, all of our friends at the altar, and the weight of the moment just hit me. Like, I thought, oh, I'm getting married today, and then you just kind of see it, and then the woman that you're committing the rest of your life to starts walking down the aisle, and then everyone you've ever met is staring at you, and it's really hot underneath those lights, and you're wearing a tuxedo, and you're kind of nervous, and I definitely almost passed out at my own wedding. I was actually kind of rocking back and forth. I asked one of my groomsmen for water. It was almost a bad scene, and I'm enormous, and you can imagine that would be bad if a guy like me took a tumble during a wedding, and could you imagine if I knocked over Cheryl? It just would have been bad, right? But the good news is I got through the ceremony and then we got to the reception and the reception was a great time. And uh, one thing that every couple does at the reception after they, uh, you know, you do all the fun eating and toasts and all that good stuff is they have their first dance. They have their first dance. And so you need to know this. Cheryl, my wife of uh, almost 13 years now, uh, Cheryl was the first girl I ever kissed. She was the first girl I ever dated. And she was the first girl I ever loved. And she was also the first girl I ever danced with. 
except for a couple awkward school dances that were, you know school dances, boys on one side, girls on the other, we'll meet in the middle, only the real daring types. And I danced with a couple other girls in my day just to be blatantly honest, but it was uh, painfully plutonic. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was more like pity dancing. Uh, Joe looks like he needs a date, I'll dance with him, and that'll be awkward because he's huge and everyone will see us, so maybe I won't dance with him. So like it was just those moments. So Cheryl was the first girl who wanted to dance with me. And so we get on the dance floor and we had prepared for this dance. And we were so prepared, we actually took dance lessons. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't sign up for dance lessons. But Cheryl had won them in a raffle and the next thing I knew, there was this guy named Christoph teaching me how to dance. And when he could see I didn't quite get how to dance, he would dance with me and show me the steps. And you know, you have those moments in your life where you're like, how did I get to this moment dancing with Kristoff, like I'm here with Cheryl, she's beautiful and I'm gonna marry her and Kristoff, you and I are doing the foxtrot. <laughs> Help me Kristoff to understand what's happening. So Cheryl and I, we picked this song by Michael Buble, it's called That's All. And we started dancing and we were all ready to impress our guests with our amazing choreography for about 12 seconds. And about 12 seconds into it, I just need you to know all that dancing with Christoph did not pay off. <laughs> Cheryl tried to start leading, I tried to start leading, it's not a great way to start a marriage. And then it was just like, we were just kind of doing this. And then after a while, we just did what all couples do on their first dance, just kind of, <laughs> I think you're beautiful. I think your nose is really big from this angle. Like when she's looking up at me, not her, me, just so you know. And you know what's crazy about dancing at your wedding? There's always some really cheesy love song playing in the background that is quote unquote so meaningful to you. Uh, we, we had this song called That's All. Let me read you some of the great cliches in the love song that we had. I can only give you love that lasts forever and a promise to be near each time you call. I obviously wasn't going to work. And the only heart I own is for you and you alone. That's all. That's all. And then all I have are these arms to enfold you. That was pretty true. I had like no money and I had not much to offer. And a love time can never destroy. I don't even know what that means. Uh, we were, we're going to die at some point. If you're wondering what I'm asking in return, dear, you'll be glad to know that my demands are small. Oh, you just want me to like cut the grass? Say it's me that you'll adore for now and evermore, that's all. Love songs. What's your favorite love song? Think about it. What was your wedding song? What is a song that's just meaningful to you? I read the lyrics of the song. I have to be blatantly honest. In my, as I was preparing for this message, I actually put a different song that I thought was our love song, and I forgot that this was the wedding song. I thought it was a different song by Frank Sinatra, so it apparently didn't make this big impression on me. But what's your favorite love song? You know what's interesting about love songs? In love songs, you can express feelings and desires and affections in poetry that you can't quite put in to prose. And you might be surprised to find out that the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, as we'll be calling it, it can go by a couple different titles, is a book in the Bible that is a love song. 
This song is a vivid description of love, intimacy, attraction, and romance. And so before we start reading the text today, I read the text last week to Cheryl after we got home from Easter. I was laying in bed taking my afternoon nap and I couldn't sleep, so I started studying for this week's sermon and I read Cheryl my passage for this week and after I read it, she turned to me and said, good luck, and took a nap. Uh, You need to know that Song of Songs is a hard book to understand because it is written in poetry. And what's strange is, is that sometimes a girl is talking and then sometimes a boy is talking and then every once in a while in Song of Songs, there's a chorus line. They're called the Daughters of Jerusalem. So as we go through the text today, you'll notice that the red slides are when the girl is talking and then the blue slides are when the guy is talking. And if you're used to like chronological sequence sequential events, you're going to be disappointed with Song of Songs because it's not sequential and it's not chronological. The scenes kind of change here and there. And this isn't one big unified story with a beginning, middle, and ending. It's an anthology of love songs that describes the love of two young lovers who have the hots for one another. There's just really no other way to say it. So let's dive in this morning to Song of Songs. Um, One Old Testament scholar I read, his name's Tremper Longman, he said this. He said, like the Psalms, Song of Songs is a book of the Bible that we have permission to kind of see it as a window into human experience. Like, as we're reading Song of Songs, we're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to think like, oh, these are two historical people who actually lived, who actually had a romance. What we're supposed to see is two people who are kind of like every man and every woman, we can put our story into their story and use their story as a window and kind of reflect back to us to see what the experience of love and romance is like. So let's dive in this morning. The girl begins talking. Just so you know, the girl talks the most in the love song, and I don't mean anything by that. It's just real. We'll start in verse 2. Song of Songs, verse 2. She gets right after it. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You're already uncomfortable. So let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She doesn't want a routine peck on the cheek from her man. She wants her man to smother her with kisses. And then she says, for your love is more delightful than wine. What does that mean? Wine is a metaphor in the Bible of joy and pleasure and excitement. So when she says your love, and actually in the Hebrew, the idea is your love making is more delightful than wine. What she's saying is, is you bring me pleasure. Verse 3, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Now, dudes, I know you don't want to wear perfume, and that's okay. But dudes, in this day, they didn't shower uh, much. They had to kind of go bathe through the river, and you didn't do that every day. So deodorant in that day was perfume, and it was normal for a man to wear perfume. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. And then she says this to him, your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. So what does she tell her man? You smell good. Just a practical application for today for some of us. She says, you smell good, but it's not just that you smell good, your name also smells good. His name refers to who he really is. His name is his character. She is not just attracted to his physical appearance, she's attracted to his character. And then she says this, take me away with you, let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. So she calls her man king. Now, this is where people think like, is this an actual king? No. In her day, king 
is a term of endearment. She is showing respect to him or, or saying that he is a man of dignity and honor in her life. She's saying, this is the number one man in my life. He's my king. Maybe some men, you've told your woman that she is like the queen of your heart. She's not a political sovereign ruler, but she's dear to you. That's what the woman means by saying, you're a king. And then she says, let the king bring me into his chambers. That's his bedroom. You'll notice in Song of Songs, though it implies a lot, it's not graphic. It's politely explicit. What are they going to do when they get to his bedroom? They don't tell us. We're grown-ups. We could probably figure it out. Then the chorus pipes in, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. And then the woman speaks, how right they are to adore you. And then the scene changes. So she kind of expresses her love for her man. She says, bring me into her bedroom. And then she starts talking about herself. She says, dark am I, yet lovely. Dark am I, yet lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. So here's what the girl is saying. She's saying, I have some insecurities because of my dark skin. This is not a racial comment. It's a social comment. In her day, the women of Israel with lighter skin were considered to be the socially elite, beautiful women because they did not have to work outdoors. But unlike our day, our day we tend to celebrate tan skin. In this day, tan skin meant you were lower class and maybe you weren't as beautiful. And the girl starts out by saying, I know I don't meet the cultural standard of beauty. And ladies, she's saying to the daughters of Jerusalem, don't stare at me because of how I look. Don't judge me based on my appearance. And she wants us to know that she's insecure. And she says, here's what happened. My brothers got angry with me and they made me work outside. And I had to take care of the family vineyard, but my own vineyard, which is a metaphor for her, her body, her sexuality, her appearance, she's neglected. Verse 7, girls still talking. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? So what she's saying is, is hey, honey, I would like to know where you're going to be at lunchtime because I would like to come and see you. That's really awesome. All the guys are like, it would be awesome if my wife did that. But she has to go out to find her man. And she says, you need to give me directions to where you're going to be because if I walk around with a veil on, people are going to assume things about me. So in her day, a woman walking around with a veil was kind of thought to be a woman of the night or a harlot. And so she says, you need to tell me where you're going to be. And he responds playfully. This is the first thing the man says. Some people say women are confusing, but look at how the man responds. If you do not know, most beautiful of women... Follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. She, he basically told her, you know where to find me. And then the man says this, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Just what every woman wants to hear. 
Baby, I was at the farm the other day, and I just want you to know there were some horses there. They reminded me of you. What does he mean by this? Mares are female horses, and mares were never supposed to pull chariots. Instead, mares would be used in battle to distract stallions. As stallions were riding into battle, the opposing army would release a mare in heat, and this would send the stallions into a frenzy, distracting them from their military duties. What is the man complimenting his woman? He's saying, you are so attractive that you drive all the other men crazy. And then he says, your cheeks or your face would be better, are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. So how does the man respond to her saying that I'm feeling insecure about how I look? He says, you're the most beautiful woman that I know. And then the scene changes, and the girl begins to speak in verse 12. Well, the king was at his table. It should actually say, well, the king was at his couch. My perfume spread its fragrance. My lover to me is a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. What she's saying is, is myrrh is this solid perfume that a woman would wear around her neck in this little pouch, and the perfume was in solid form, and as it rested against her chest, it would slowly melt and give off a beautiful aroma. And she says to her man, when you're lying on my chest, when we're in your bedroom, and you're lying on my chest, it is so pleasing to me. You're like, is this really in the Bible, Joe? Are you sure you didn't like copy and paste from a website? No, this is God's word. And then she says, my lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyard of En Gedi. And then the man speaks back to her, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. What does that mean, your eyes are doves? Rabbinic tradition identifies beautiful eyes with a beautiful personality. Later in the song, he gets specific about what he loves about her body, but he sees her as a beautiful person as much as he sees her beautiful body. He says, before I start sizing how you look physically, which he will do in detail later in a different week. You're like, I don't know if I'm going to be here for that. Later, he says, when I look into your eyes, I see beauty. He loves her for who she is. The woman responds, how handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. And that means green, like the leaves of the tree. And then she says, the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. Where are they? They're outside. This couple has been in the bedroom, and now they've been outside. Lovemaking is not limited to the indoors. And then interestingly the girl again reveals some insecurity around her appearance. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Rose is a bad translation. This girl is actually not saying, I am a rose among lilies. Rose is actually the word flower bulb or crocus. The idea is that flower bulbs are common. What she's actually saying to her man is she's saying, you know what I am? I'm just a common flower bulb in a field of lilies. She's saying, I look 
and I am pretty average. And then he responds to her, that's not true. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. He's like, honey, you are not like a common flower. In a field of thorns, you are a beautiful lily standing above all others as beautiful. Okay, so we're done with that part. And some of us are like, okay, that was strange. That was the Bible. What are we supposed to do now? Can I go home? What in the world can we learn from the beginning of this song that will help us get a handle on love? And I think this is hard to figure out, but I think a theme emerges throughout this song that is deeply instructive to us. So let's review what happens. The girl wants her man to smother her with kisses and take her into his bedroom. But in the next breath, she tells us that she is keenly aware that her appearance doesn't live up to the standard of beauty of her day. She doesn't want to be stared at and judged by other women. She wants everyone to know that she hasn't had time to care for herself the way that she wants. The lovers speak kind and infirming words to one another. Even after a night in his bedroom, an afternoon tryst among the flocks, a night with her man resting his head between her breasts, and the affirmation that he finds her to be the most attractive woman he knows, she still says to him, I am average looking. Here's the first thing I want us to know. Intimacy reveals our insecurities. The intimacy and romance she is enjoying with her lover is exciting, but it's made her self-conscious. As she's giving the most intimate parts of who she is to her lover, she is becoming more aware of her body image. So I asked some ladies from Spring Valley Community Church this week to help me understand some common insecurities women have with body image. One of the repeated refrains was that women often play the comparison game, just like the woman in our story is. She's saying, I'm just common in a field of lilies. One of the ladies I asked this week said this, I think most women think to themselves, I desire to look like other women, not necessarily supermodels, but other attainable women. Women who look thinner, with better legs, a smaller pant size, the right size breasts, less gray hair, and more put together. Another woman said this, if a woman appears fit, stylish, and smiling, society tends to believe she holds the secrets of the universe. We love to try and maintain the appearance of control, Keeping up with outward beauty standards is our way of saying, look, see how in control I am and I didn't even try. So I asked my wife if I could tell the story on her and she said it was okay because we just laughed together about this. You want to talk about how women compare one another. We were at the King of Prussia Mall this week uh, for a date night on Friday, Cheryl and I, and we went to the Grand Lux Cafe and we had to wait a little while for our table. So we're walking around the King of Prussia Mall and there's this moment where this young woman is pushing a baby stroller and the baby in the baby stroller is really tiny and the woman pushing the stroller is wearing a shirt that we'll just say doesn't cover her whole torso and she's pushing this stroller and my wife turns up to me after they passed and she said do you think that's the nanny 
And I said, why? She said, because no woman with a 10-week-old baby looks like that. And you know what I thought? I said to her, I was thinking the same thing. We tend to compare and we tend to size one another bodies up and we tend to say like, oh, that's impossible for this really thin young woman to just had a baby because no woman's stomach looks like that after childbirth. I asked the ladies another question. I said, what do you think are the cultural expectations that tend to feed insecurities around body image? One of the ladies said, we are told at a young age that we are pretty, thin, or have a large nose, or our ears stick out. We tend to be labeled by our physical characteristics. We are also told that we are supposed to age gracefully, whatever that means, with wrinkles and sagging skin to be avoided. And then another, the lady said, media promotes the idea that women need to look a certain way to be desirable. Most marketing firms' target audience is a 14-year-old girl. Clothing today is designed to show off things that are meant to be sacred, playing into the idea that we have to show off what we have and fit into a certain size to be appealing to men. Does this resonate with anyone? Like, are there any ladies in the house who would say, yes, this is my experience, like, we always have to size one another up and, and we can get insecurities about our body. And I need to tell you, it is not a cruel joke to talk about body image after we've just feasted on pancakes, waffles, and sausage. But it is ironic, right? I mean, that's kind of like, oh my gosh, we're talking about body image and I just ate like an extra waffle. <laughs> so what's a girl to do? I could simply tell you, and this would be real helpful, a big guy telling you, stop feeling insecure about that. And you're like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work, Joe. I do not think there is anything wrong with wanting to be attractive. I don't think that's a fundamentally bad desire. However, for some of us, your desire to be attractive is controlling your life, and it's either causing you, because you feel attractive, a really unhealthy amount of joy around your appearance, or it's causing you a really unhealthy amount of despair around your appearance. When dieting, exercising, and accessorizing aren't simply about taking care of yourself. Do I think a woman could take care of herself? Sure, I think that's a wonderful desire. I think wanting to be attractive for your husband is a good thing, but catch this. If you are trying to live up to the impossible expectations you have put on yourself, or the impossible expectations our culture has put on women to be and look a certain way. A world that has ignored the realities of bone structure, metabolism, childbearing, breastfeeding, and aging. A world that seems to ignore that you don't own an airbrush. You are going to find yourself exhausted. Your value as a woman isn't found in your shape. Your value as a woman isn't found in your body image. It's found in the reality that God himself has placed his image inside of you. Your beauty as a woman isn't found in your perfect complexion or flat stomach, but it's found in the beauty of your heart. 
Song of Songs, as we see this young woman struggling with body image, it's supposed to help us to think biblically. What would we tell ourselves if we're supposed to put ourselves in the story? What would the scripture say to us about what it actually means to be beautiful as a woman? The Bible tends to put less emphasis on physical attractiveness and more emphasis on spiritual beauty that could be only cultivated from within. This week, at our, uh, we live in Summit Muse. It's a, it's a place in Pottstown. There's condos and townhouses there. And all throughout our development, there are these trees. I don't know what they're called. Some of you probably know what they're called. But this week, they're blooming. And they have these beautiful white flowers on them. And we love every year when the flowers begin to bloom. And every year, Cheryl and I kind of look at each other when we get out of the car when the flowers are blooming, and we kind of say, what's that smell? And Cheryl's like, those are the trees. The trees stink, and the odor is foul. It is possible to be beautiful physically have an ugly soul. It is possible to be a beautiful person externally, but your life gives off a stench because you're not cultivating a beauty from within. I love how the Apostle Peter puts this to ladies in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. He's not saying you should never wear jewelry or get your hair cut. He's just saying that's not where your beauty should come from. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Some ladies believe that it is a great worth that their bodies are beautiful. And God says, what is of great worth to me is a heart that is mine. What I consider beautiful is a quiet and gentle way in a woman. Not quiet like she's not allowed to speak her mind, but quiet that she's confident in who God has made her to be. That's what's beautiful to the Lord Every woman in this room has to face the fact that it is futile to chase an ideal beauty that is always changing. However, a woman can become more beautiful with every day as they walk with Jesus and allow him to make them beautiful. I think my wife is extremely attractive. But one of the most exciting things for me over the last 12 and a half years has been seeing a beauty grow in the heart of my wife as she surrendered more deeply and more fully to Jesus. And though I find her very attractive, her heart is far sexier. However, there is something the man in our story does that is so instructive for both men and women, but especially men. When his girl is speaking of her insecurities about her appearance, what does the man do? He showers her with loving affirmation. 
And this is what we learn from the man in the story. Loving words quiet our insecurities. Men, we must use our words to build up our wives. We must use our words to build up our sons and our daughters. We must use our words to build up our friends and our neighbors. It is good and right to compliment your spouse's physical attractiveness, but we must go deeper and express what we find attractive about who she is. Because think about this, a woman's beauty she has very little to do with. But the beauty of her heart is something that her and God are cultivating together. Men, our words have power to quiet the insecurities that the ladies in our life face. Let's not parrot our culture in saying a woman's value and worth is found in her appearance, but rather be countercultural and champion the beauty of her heart. We must put Paul's words into practice when he tells the Ephesian church, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Men, let me ask you this question this morning. You might be providing for your wife through working your job and cutting the grass. Congratulations, we'll be giving out medals later. But are you caring for her heart? Do you know where her insecurities are? Do you know how she is struggling? Are you trying to draw her out? Are you encouraging her? Or are you taking her for granted, men? Are you making it clear that you think she is the most beautiful woman in the world? Not comparing her to other women so to feed her pride, but to continually affirm, to me, you are beautiful. And men, let me just say this. I don't know if this is the Holy Spirit. You can tell me later. When you spend time looking at pornography and other naked women, you will always struggle to find your wife beautiful because you will be comparing her to the pixels on your screen. It is an awesome thing for a man to live his life with a pure mind and a pure heart and to keep his eyes from seeing other women naked in any way. And I know we're free to watch whatever we want because we're free in Christ. But some of us, we watch terrible things and we see women's bodies that we should not see and then we pretend it's no big deal when we see our wives. How can we not compare that's why a pure heart and a pure life as a man is so important, so that you can see clearly the beautiful gift God has given you. It's a good place for an amen. A couple ladies there, you're welcome. <laughs> ladies, it's just not the man, though, who expressed that he was attracted to his girl. The girl was unflinching in communicating her desire for her man. It's important to know that your words of encouragement and affirmation matter to men also. A woman who calls out what she sees in the life of her husband is a woman who blesses him. What if we were the kind of people who used our words to speak life, to speak hope, to speak grace, to speak love into our loved one's lives? And this is for all of us, not even just those of us who are married. That would change the atmosphere of your marriage, but it would also change the atmosphere of your friendships and of your workplace. What if we were like this young couple who used our words to build one another up? What if we did away with cutting remarks 
What if we did away with harsh criticisms? What if we did away with gossip and slander? And what if we were the kind of people who committed to using our words to speak life into one another? Loving words quiet our insecurities. And for those of us who are married, loving words quiet our insecurities and they foster intimacy. But we need to be honest about something. Encouraging words quiet our insecurities, but they don't eliminate them. We are insecure because we keep trying to find our identity in our beauty. We keep trying to find our identity in how our bodies look. We keep trying to find our identity in our careers and in our successes, in our abilities, in our ability to make other people happy. And some of us try to find our identity in the pursuit of perfection. The reason we're insecure is because we realize we don't measure up. We are insecure because of our sin. To make things worse, our insecurities lead to self-absorption. And it's hard to be a good lover, to be a good friend, to be a good spouse, if you are only focused on yourself. So what can we do with our insecurities? What can we do when we look in the mirror or we're like the woman in our story and she notices that she has dark skin because she's been bronzed by the sun and she looks at all the other girls in her community and they meet the cultural standard of beauty. What are we supposed to do when we look at our neighbor and feel like they're doing better at us, uh, doing better at life than we are? What are we supposed to do when we look at our own lives and acknowledge that we have failed and we don't measure up? We need to look to Jesus. See, Jesus eliminates our insecurities by giving us a new identity. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, God already knows, Spring Valley Community Church, that you do not measure up. So what he has done is he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who has lived the perfect life because you cannot live the perfect life. And he has died a death that you cannot die. He has died in your place as an offering for your sin and for my sin. And what's amazing is, is the perfect Jesus dying for the imperfect people like you and me. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what happens is this. God no longer sees our imperfections. We no longer need to struggle with our insecurities about how we look or how much we earn or where we live or the car we drive or whether or not we're single or married, whether or not we're raising children or not raising children, whether or not we wake up and feel beautiful or hideous. See, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, what happens is, is that God declares you accepted. And what that does is, it doesn't just quiet insecurity, it eliminates it. See, because God has also spoken an encouraging word over our life. He has used his word to build us up. And the word he has chosen is accepted. It's righteous. 
It's forgiven. It's whole. It's set free. It's made new. It's your shame and your guilt is gone. And you have new life in Jesus Christ. God has spoken a word over you this morning if you are a follower of Jesus. And it is this, acceptance. Because at the bottom of our insecurities is the question that we're all wrestling with. Will I be accepted? And to the most important person and being in the universe, God. He says when you trust your insecurities and your sin and your failures to my son, I call you accepted. That doesn't just quiet insecurity. That eliminates them. If I want you to leave today with anything, it's this. If you want to get a handle on love, first you need to experience life-changing love. You can't be a good lover until you've been loved well. And you haven't been loved well until you've experienced and welcomed the love of God into your life. We're just about done, but before we leave this morning, I want to ask everyone in this room, take a moment just to bow your head. And some of us are wondering, how did we get from Song of Songs to Jesus? Here's how we got there. The scriptures always point to Christ. Jesus is the hero of every book of the Bible. And I want to ask you today, do you need the word accepted spoken over your life today? Do you need to be set free from the never-ending cycle of insecurity? And most importantly, do you need sin to be dealt with in your life? Do you need to turn from your sin and say, God, so much of my insecurity is because I am so self-absorbed. And God, I don't want to be self-absorbed anymore. I want to make my life about you. Some of you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ today, and I want to give you an opportunity to do that. For those who have never committed to Christ with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to give your life to Christ, would you pray with me today? It's a simple prayer. It goes something like this. Jesus, I want to put my life in your hands. I accept that you died for me, that you were the offering for my sin that I, my soul needed. And I give you my life today. And Lord, I ask you to help me to live for you. And Lord, today I say that I am yours and I will follow you. Jesus, I belong to you. And I receive the acceptance of God over my life. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Before you leave today, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, before we start moving, 
We'd love to know on your orange card on the back, it says your decision today, I'm committing my life to Christ for the first time, or it says, I am renewing my commitment to Christ. It would be awesome if you could just let us know that today, if that's true about you, and we wanna follow up with you and let you know how you can take your first step in your relationship with Christ. For the rest of us today, I wanna encourage you, um, if you came prepared to give your offering today, you can drop your orange card and you can drop your offering right in the bucket in the center of your table. As soon as I say amen, our, our ushers will come around and collect those buckets. But I would ask you to put your orange card in there and if you wanna give today, you can put your offering in as well. I wanna pray for us before we leave today. Lord, you know there are people in this room who are just a walking mess of insecurity. Lord, not just about their bodies, but about their life and where they're at. And Lord, they're really wondering right now if there's any hope for them. They're really wondering right now if there's any way that they could actually deal with all the insecurities that they have, even if they don't let anyone else see them. And Jesus, I believe that as we open our lives to you and we welcome you, Jesus, to go deeper and deeper in our hearts and we say to you, Lord, you can go there. Lord, you make us whole. Lord, you don't eliminate our insecurities in a moment, but you chisel away at them over a lifetime with following you. Lord, I pray that you would help me to heal from my insecurity. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be whole people because our lives are totally surrendered to Christ and our identity and the core of who we are is children of God. Lord, help us to live this out this week. We, lo we love you, God. Amen. Amen.